Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. Core 4 Podcast is a podcast under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. Find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me is none other than, well, I've got to throw it back to the first nickname because this might be our last one. Nathan, the chest pass. Chester. Parker, it brings tears to my eyes to hear that original nickname and to know that we could possibly be at the end. I'm miserable. I'm absolutely miserable right now. I am appalled. Um, if you don't know what's going on, just look on the internet. Yeah, I, I, I don't even really know why I'm upset. I just know that I am. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, we just know that. I, I know a simple Google search could probably clear this up for me, but um, I'm not really feeling that right now. Um, I'm content to just sit here in my misery, um, knowing this could be the end of my media career to the happiness of many people throughout Memphis. Yeah. If y'all don't really know what's going on, um, we just have a strong feeling that Joe's just going to fire us after something we say on here. It's nothing really – we don't really say it. It's not going to be something edgy it's, it's or more, anything. It, it's more us um, taking the fall for Joe, if you will. Like like the chopping block is coming, and we're putting our heads down on the chopping block first so that Joe can run a little bit further away before the chopping block gets him. Imagine it like that. sense. Imagine – I, I, I don't want to compare us to Jesus or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> Time but out, time out. You're, you're a youth pastor. Is it, there is a level of sacrifice here, hey, I think. Is we, it, we may have, I, I'm we, a youth pastor. I want to talk about Jesus. I don't see what was wrong with that statement. <laughs> we might have won, but what it costs. <laughs> anyways, anyways. Yeah, we just sometimes say some stupid stuff and edgy. It's nothing really. We just I, really I just throw darts at the wall and just see what sticks sometimes. Yeah. Half the time mm-hmm. it doesn't stick, and you live with it, and you move on. Yeah. But Parker, we have exciting things to talk about. Even though this might be the last chance that we have to talk about it, the Memphis Grizzlies are two and a half games out of the playoff race. What type of way does that make you feel right now? Um, it makes me feel some type of way. Um, uh, I agree. I'm not going to go out here and say, oh yeah, we're going to make the playoffs. Not we, the Grizzlies. Because we are not on the team. Um, Thank you for that. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things where it kind of goes to show you that this team is further along in their development than we expected. Maybe also that um, the bottom half of the Western Conference is pretty trash. Oh, it is. And I don't necessarily disagree with the fact that the Grizzlies are a little bit ahead of schedule or a little bit farther along in their development. But I don't think they significantly are so. I think they're more or less... Um, playing and at a level that's a little bit better than what we thought that they were going to be. 
it's more so the fact that they're in this position is more so due to the fact that the bottom half of the West is an absolute dumpster fire. They're awful. The Spurs are bad. The Trailblazers are bad. The Suns are starting to regress after a very nice start. Um, uh, they've had Booker hurt for a bit, though. Yeah, that's true. Um, DeAndre doing, Ayton's coming back tonight. Uh, he's really juiced up for his return, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. But, yeah, the Trailblazers are bad. Um, you know, the Kings, they're getting Bagley and Fox back, but they're pretty mediocre. Um, the West is wide open for the Grizzlies to sneak in there and get the A spot. Do I think they'll ultimately end up doing that? No, um, I just don't think so. I think growing pains will start to rear their ugly head at some point. But I believe the stat was that um, our friend Connor Dunning at 92.9 shared with us last night, 12 of the Grizzlies' 15 next opponents are below 500. Correct. Mm. Yes. If you can beat the Miami Heat at home like they did last night and they won four or five. Wait, no, 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 no. Hold up, hold up. He said that before yesterday's game, correct? Mm-hmm. So 13 of the next 15. Because the Heat came into to last night's game at 19 and 7. Mm-hmm. One potential roadblock I see here is the Grizzlies. Like, the Grizzlies are... Miami Heat is a far superior team in nearly every facet of the game. Uh, but you come to Memphis, you don't take the Grizzlies very seriously. And the Grizzlies either almost win or do win like they did last night. And you saw that when the Clippers came to town. You saw that when the Lakers came to town. I'm afraid the Grizzlies are about to hit the point where teams are going to stop taking them for granted, which would definitely be dangerous for them. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also, too, one of those things where – he, John Morant came into yesterday's matchup, and of course, there's just been this little hype around Kendrick Nunn, and people are like, oh, Kendrick Nunn can win Rookie of the Year, and John just wanted to slam that door in his face mm-hmm. and slam it really hard in front of everyone. He dropped a 20 and 10 last night. Mm-hmm. I mean, he even got like a no shot clock, no time on the shot clock assist yeah. in the fourth quarter to Jay Crowder just to cap off that. But also, too, it's like one of those things that they were trying to trap and foul, and Jay Crowder was under the basket. Yeah, so. and the argument for none, and you can see it from some of the more optimistic Heat fans on social media, is that um, he's putting up good numbers. I believe he's averaging 18 and 4, 17 and 4. He's averaging 17 and 4, and he's doing it on a much better team than Jaws. Jaws' numbers are better. He's averaging 19 and 6, just a far better floor general and playmaker than none is. And. I see it differently. I see Ja as the engine that makes the Grizzlies competitive every single night because you saw how bad they were, I believe. Um, They lost every game that he was out. And um, I believe during his absence, they lost four in a row, I believe. Something like that. Something three or four in a row. Didn't even look remotely close to the same team that they are now without him. He is the engine that keeps them competitive every single night. The whole team... Everything they try to do offensively relies on him. It right. does. And you take Ja away, the Grizzlies are the worst team in the league. Yeah, and that's a fairly good point. And the difference with that and Nunn is Nunn's not the best player on the Miami Heat. He's, he's not even in their top three best players. He's a cog in the system. I mean, yeah. Jimmy Butler's the best player. Mm-hmm. Bam Adebayo's not far behind him. And they would prioritize Tyler Harrow over Nunn. I mean, prioritization. And, and, and to be fair to There's my, there. I was going to say that as Spice. You can't even be the rookie of the year if you're not the best rookie on your team. That's not spice at all. And I think there are some Heat fans who who they think should win rookie of the year depends on who had the last better game between Harrow and Nunn. Hero's so good, bro. He really is. I've been I've been on him since 
November of last season, I'm like, he can be a player. And then once I saw him kind of emerge as like a potential one and done, mm-hmm. I'm like, this dude can shoot the threat out of the ball, but he can also put the ball on the floor. I uh, This is kind of in response to a tweet that you said last night. Um, I remember the last couple of years, you know, I'm in the ATO fraternity at Union University. Um, I represent Greek life, and we play against other Greek life teams in basketball. Exactly uh, and we have two other fraternities at Union, uh, Lamba Chi and SAE. And generally, Parker, this is going to be something that's very unsurprising to you and to our audience here, is that most fraternity guys at Union University – a Southern conservative Christian school are white and they all look alike. So when I see the Miami Heat roll out a live, a Tyler Hero, <laughs> Myers Leonard, and Duncan Robinson, which by the way, those are three of the whitest names I have ever heard in my entire life. Myers Duncan. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, SAE literally got signed by the Miami Heat. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. But they can ball. They can. I swear. And not really much Myers Leonard, but... Um, <laughs> hey, My- Myers Leonard had a heck of a playoffs last year in Portland. Last year? Was it last year? Yeah. Yeah, he was great in the playoffs last year. I, I thought he could have been a middle-class man's Brooke Lopez. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Poverty-level Dirk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about right there. Something like but that. He, it's... Suffice to say, he has not quite lived up to that level during his tenure with the Miami Heat so far. But he hasn't really had to. Nah, not really. But he, he's probably he's better better than Kelly Olenek, who yeah. I, I love how um I believe it was uh, Bam Abadio who got the uh, flagrant foul and Jonas Valanciunas. Kelly Olenek was nearby, and every single person in the section was like, "Screw Kelly Olenek, man!" <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just assumed that the dirty play had to have been done by Kelly Olenek. It's got a it doesn't suck. He's a millionaire playing in the NBA. But it's got to suck to be the prototypical cliche, hardworking white guy. He, he's a poor man's Bill Lambeard. <laughs> That's what he is. No, shoot. <laughs> he's Bill he, Lambeard with a man bun. <laughs> That's literally what he is. Now, Bill Lambeard is a much better player than Kelly Olenek has ever been. But there's definitely some similarities there. Yeah. So um, more about the Grizzlies and less about the Miami Heat's white basketball players. Mm -hmm. I know Anthony Sane would love to hear me talk about Miami Heat's white basketball players all day long. I would love to hear that too. I I would rather talk about the Grizzlies. One thing I want to talk about that I noticed is that closing lineup, it was Ja, D'Anthony Melton, Jay Crowder, Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr. And I called that the uh, the fast break breakfast with the uh, with the mimosa because Keith Parrish was like this lineup needs a name it's glorious and I was like fast break breakfast with a mimosa and so that's the lineup I believe um, so what do you think of that lineup and also like why like you're trying to break a zone and you don't have Dylan Brooks in the game okay I'm gonna say something that's a little bit unpopular oh it's going to be unpopular. And you're going to laugh at me. And people in our group text had made fun of me about this every year. Because after Jaron went off for 43 against the Milwaukee Bucks, you were all mocking me, saying, I wish Jaron posted up more, though. I wish Jaron took a few more (laughs) mid-range shots. Well, let me tell you something. To beat a 2-3 zone, there are two things that you can do. What are those two things? Uh, Move the basketball and shoot threes. Well, you shoot threes or you get the ball to the middle of the zone. Yeah, so... 
Um, the Grizzlies were not making anything, any type of jump shot hardly at all in the second half. Couldn't hit anything from beyond the arc, whether it was Dylan Brooks or Jay Crowder, Jai or Bob One. Um, so they bring in that lineup, and they struggle mightily. They, I think they go down by three at one point. Um, they're they look absolutely helpless. Like I was thinking they're going to lose this game and this one's going to be on Taylor Jenkins because he's done a great job. But if your team is unprepared for a two, three zone, I, I, Chris Harrington in his um, game recap called the heat zone quirky. What quirky. It was just a two, three zone. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. It's just a main, like a two, three zone. They come out hard on the ball, ball handler. And, Ja, there were several times where the ball would find its way to Jaron in the middle of the zone, in the middle of the paint, which is where you want the ball if your shots are not going in. But Jaron's not comfortable shooting from mid-range. So the offense would still stagnate even though he would get the ball. Now, granted, that's a very isolated and limited situation that Jaron is not going to have to deal with very much this year or generally at all for his entire career. But that was one moment that I'm thinking – if he was a little bit more like Anthony Davis in this moment, this would definitely help out a lot. Right. Um, mm-hmm. There's actually two things I was really wishing they would do. Besides play Dylan Brooks, I think he should have been in over Jay Crowder, who was having a yeah. little poor shooting night. He had a good first half, but was definitely trailing off in the right. second. I think Dylan actually got himself into foul trouble, and mm-hmm. you needed somebody on Jimmy. Yeah. Um, for one, uh, another thing that you kind of do in a zone is you – get the ball down low mm-hmm. in the post. And I think they could have used a few post-ups when they had Valanciunas in the game because I mean, they had Tyler Hero at the bottom of the zone. Because what the Heat did that made the zone quirky was they had Derrick Jones Jr. and Jimmy Butler at the top of the zone. That's terrifying. They, yeah, that's they great rattled, length, yeah. They rattled yeah. off like three steals Well, Derrick Jones had back-to-back steals and back-to-back baskets. He caught a lob from Harrow off the first steal and – I believe I believe he stole the next one and got a layup off of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that kind of made it start working for the Grizzlies, and I don't really think it was any type of scheme adjustment on their part, um, but this is why you have Brandon Clark on the court, and this is one of the things that makes Brandon Clark special, is that one of the weaknesses of a 2-3 zone is that obviously you're not playing man defense, and you don't have a specific man to box out when the ball goes up. So mm-hmm. Clark was getting offensive rebounds and scoring off the basket. And DeAnthony Melton, God bless his heart, um, I think it'd be fair to say he had a good game. I think he had 15-4-4. People remember those three consecutive turnovers in the fourth quarter. Against Derrick Jones Jr. Against Derrick Jones Jr. People remember that. But his hustle and defense are both phenomenal. He spent some time on Butler. He spent some time on Harrow. And he, due to the weaknesses in that zone, there was one offensive rebound that just, I think he's got a 6'7 wingspan. It was incredible how long he extended his arm to get the ball. But because of the weakness of that zone, he was able to grab two offensive rebounds in one possession, which led to that pivotal, uh, pivotal Jarrett Jackson three to give them the lead back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I would have done too, and it goes back to getting the ball in the middle of the zone, and it's crazy because you don't consider him really a zone buster, but you could have gotten Kyle. Kyle. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle had one rip. I because think it was right a, before a Spolster timeout at some point near the end of the third quarter. They threw it to him in the middle of the zone. And he's great in those in-between spaces, about eight feet from the basket. Mm-hmm. Um, had a nice little floater, cleanly switched it. Spolster was pissed, called a timeout. Right. Mm-hmm. And from there, he's not a. He's actually a pretty good mid-range shooter. He has that good in-between game. But also, he has that playmaking ability to where you could have maybe had 
from one, if they started collapsing, you kick out to a shooter, which, I mean, at, at the time you had DeAnthony Melton, but you could have had Dylan Brooks, but you also could have had Jaron Jackson in one corner as well, but you also could have had Brandon Clark running baseline to where you get it, you lob it up to him, and he's just going to go up and get it. Yeah. Because he, I mean, they had Kelly Olenek at the bottom of the zone. The only way for Kelly Olenek to defend it and what he probably would have done is just to take him out of the air. Yeah. And, and we know that's something he's wont to do. Man, bun, man, beer. Yeah. But as far as the actual lineup specifically, it's the right lineup for the Grizzlies um, to roll out with at the end of games. And not just for the sake of, like, this is the future core. This is what they need to be focusing on. No, it's legitimately the lineup that gives them the best chance to win, give or take. Um, Dylan Brooks and DeAnthony Melton, depending on the night that each is having. Um, there are times, especially when you're talking about post-ups, that it would have been nice to have um, Jonas and some one-on-one post-ups, especially when the offense was stagnating. But I believe in the Heat's closing lineup, no, Kendrick Nunn was not on the court, but they had they had Jimmy Butler, uh, Tyler Harrow, who far more than just a spot-up shooter had been cooking the Grizzlies and pick-and-roll all night long. Um, you put Jonas out on the court in that situation, he's getting targeted every single time down. Mm-hmm. And, like, he just wouldn't be able to hold his own. And, honestly, they probably lose if he's not playing those closing minutes in place of Brandon Clark last night. Oh, yeah. No, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to say yeah. mm-hmm. do that because mm-hmm. that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes to show you that no matter – I always think the starting lineup's overrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's all about closing. Um, and so I think Jaron has shown um, over the last couple of weeks, especially that um, his block numbers have started to re- progress to the mean of what they were last year. Um, Jaron can guard fives pretty consistently, um, partially because there are just not many bruising strong fives in the NBA anymore. There just really isn't. I mean, jo- Joel Embiid is obviously an exception. Um, Jokic. Y- Jokic. Um, 320 of them. Um, even De- somebody who's physically built like DeAndre Ayton prefers to shoot mid-range shots most of the time, but he'd like to go down low. Um, Aaron Baines, a physical presence who also likes to shoot threes. Um, Jaron has shown that he can play the five, and that's why – and we're going to get to this a little bit later on, but that's why I would not be hurt at all if the Grizzlies decided to trade Jonas Valanciunas this year. I prefer to wait until the mid to end of January because I want to see how the Grizzlies shake up in the playoff hunt by that time. And if they're still in that race, then keep him. But if it's starting to trend back in the opposite direction – you're not going to be using him at the end of games. He's not pivotal to your end of game situations. And Brandon Clark, you can make the argument that he's better left as a super sub like Montrez Harrell for the Clippers, but he's having the single, he's having one of the greatest shooting seasons in NBA history by the analytics. Right. No, no one has ever had a 65, 50, 80 season in NBA history. Will those numbers hold up? Probably not. But still, that's absurd. Yeah, but also, too, because like, I'm the big – I beat the drum to the super sub thing because I do think it has played a pivotal role in development for not even guys like Montrezl Harrell, but you're looking at Demonis Sabonis who had been kicking tail in the second unit with the Indiana Pacers, mm-hmm. and then they finally put him in the starting five, and he's still contributing at that level and looking like a bonafide all-star. Like, I still think there's value in having Brandon Clark in that – in that bench unit, for one, he's the focal point of the offense, which if you're getting a focal point out of him, especially with playmakers like Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson, who have a knack of finding him both below the rim and above the rim, have him there. Because 
Here, mean, here's, it's against second unit big men. Yeah. And the Grizzlies have one of the... For a bad team, they have one of the better benches. And usually that's rare for a bad team because most of the time their bench sucks and it's full of a bunch of mm-hmm. fringe NBA players. Yeah. I um, just, well, I'd rather just roll with that. Yeah. And then just close the games with... Jaron and Clark together. This is something that we've discussed before, and I think what will decide whether Clark ends up being basically a super sub slash good starting power forward for his career or a perennial all-star is his ball handling. If he can become a secondary initiator, which is not something that he's very comfortable being at the moment, a secondary playmaker, because um, how many times do you see him try to take the ball coast to coast off a rebound? Very little. Very little at all. Um, He's not super comfortable handling the ball in tight spaces, but if he can become that secondary playmaker, that will decide whether he can become the perennial star the Grizzlies are looking for him, the third star next to Jaron and John. And to put him next to Jaron in the starting lineup, it, the, the question I want to ask is, like, if you take Clark out of Memphis and you put him on the Phoenix Suns for the last couple of years of no point guard, do you think he's just thriving off the playmaking of John like he would in the starting lineup? Or he thrives off the playmaking of Tyus and Kyle Anderson off the bench? If you think he was on a team where playmaking was not a strength and not an asset, do you think he would be having – anywhere near as good of a season as he's having this year? Um, I think you'd find a way to, mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be as efficient, but yeah. um, he's a smart basketball player who he's going to find his way either just, he'll score six to eight points just off pure hustle. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also, for one, a product of Tyus, a product of job, but a product of the system that he's in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, probably not. But I mean, it's not like mm-hmm. he'll be like a scrub. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think his ball handling will be what ultimately determines whether he can break that system and be a focal point of your offense, no matter who else is on the court with him. But Brandon Clark has become a key component of a different discussion, which we're getting into now. And that's conveying the pick. Ah, you uh, read my mind. Uh, yeah. Brandon Clark, it plays a pivotal role in your argument for it, and I'm on the record here saying that I think it would be better for the long-term upside of the Memphis Grizzlies if they were to somehow land in the top three or top four this year. Um, because you can get an Anthony Edwards or a LaMelo Ball or even a James Wiseman, who you or I, you and I are not necessarily high on when it comes to a specific fit with the Grizzlies. But... Um, When it comes to conveying the pick, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Like, I can think that maybe it would be for the best if they could move into the top four this year, but outside of some magical bounce of the ping pong balls, that's simply not going to happen. The Grizzlies are entirely too good, and you have the teams listed there in front of you. The Grizzlies are clearly and quantifiably better than the Atlanta Hawks, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Golden State Warriors, the Washington Wizards. Um... Probably even the Chicago Bulls, even though they've lost to them twice. Who else am I forgetting? New York Knicks. Have you already said them? Yeah, yeah. I already said So that's six teams right there that the Grizzlies are clearly and quantifiably better than. The pick is top six protected. So there's not really much of a discussion to be had about there's a better chance that the Grizzlies make the playoffs and they don't convey this pick at this point. Right. And that's... Of course, my big argument, but also too like 
I'm not in love with this draft because it is a top three draft. It's you garbage. Know, if the Grizzlies were in that Warriors, Knicks, Cavs little tier, I'd be like, okay, mm-hmm. go get your best shot because at least and at least right now it's one of those things where the Grizz the Grizzlies are at eight right now, mm-hmm. so they either convey the pick or they get in the top four. Best case scenario, absolutely. And I know this is because I use this a lot in my argument. I mean, I do love the idea of an unprotected pick. And I've heard from people that know a lot about recruiting and college basketball that next year's draft, the majority of the first round, has a case for being better than 4 through 14 in this year's draft. So if you want to convey a pick, it's in this one. Because I know your argument's like, what if they make the playoffs next? Like, they might be a playoff team next year. Yes, but you're still getting that opportunity to pick. Yeah. But, um, because I use my argument as. I don't want. I don't want to worry about. Give the Boston Celtics Precious Achua this year. Bingo. No, no hate. No, no hate to Precious Achua on the Memphis Tigers, but um, I would rather give that pick to Boston and let the Celtics pick him than the Grizzlies keep it, pick Achua, and then have to convey the pick in a deeper draft next year. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Memphis X from the Outsiders chat and for saying that the Boston Celtics could have had these stars. With the Kings pick and the Grizzlies pick, mm-hmm. and they'll end up with Romeo Langford and Preston Sachua. Romeo Langford and Preston Sachua are arguably better assets than Paul George, Jimmy Butler, man. Okay, stop. <laughs> but another thing with my argument with the playoffs thing is, so of course you look at the teams that are below them right now. The Warriors thing right now it's fool's gold. They they don't have Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. You add Steph Cur- Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and a top five pick next to a motivated Draymond and D'Angelo Russell or the assets that you get in a trade for him. And honestly, you might also see Rob Myers, the GM, actually do a better job of filling out that team. Kind of similar to what the Grizzlies did last year when they corrected their mistakes and added just a bunch of surefire veterans instead of their unproven young talent. They're going to be back in the playoff picture. They might even be back in the title picture. Cleveland, not so high on. New Orleans, I mean... Alvin Gentry needs to get fired there. I, th- I think yeah. it's just gonna be a new coach because they have the talent. Because mm-hmm. they'll yeah. get Zion back. Got Brandon. They'll get Brandon. They're gonna max out Brandon Ingram. Yeah, it's inevitable at this point. Mm-hmm. The pieces from probably a Drew Holiday trade. Another year of Jackson Hayes. Um, someone out of that guard, uh, that guard little pairing of Lonzo, Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander Walker. One of them is gonna boom, and that's. I mean, that's a lot of. Op- upside there yeah Um, they're a little bit below expectations and in Atlanta Hawks they've they lost John Collins they're in a weaker conference Washington they're gonna add another lottery pick next to Beal and even just like maybe John John Wall John Wall at a lower starter level is still a good point guard yeah Mm -hmm. um and I it's one of those things where the Grizzlies can still very well be in a similar position, but they have the assets to move up in the draft if they find someone they love, like yeah. a Jalen Green or something. Yeah. If, you could look at it as the glass being half empty or half full because you can look at it from kind of my perspective and say, well, it would be better for the long-term upside. The Grizzlies could add a player like Anthony Edwards next to John in the backcourt. However, from the uh, the more positive perspective of it, you could say with the Grizzlies possibly being in the playoff hunt and definitely conveying the pick this year, 
something had to go right for you to be that far ahead of schedule. And what's the biggest factor and what went right for the Grizzlies to be in this position to definitely conveying the pick and even being in the playoff race? Right. What What is? I think it's just kind of a thing of like team circumstance around them. Well, team circumstances around them too, but what specifically on the Grizzlies roster? John Morant. Brandon right. Clark. Brandon Clark in particular. We knew, maybe not quite to this no. level. Okay. But, okay. Jaw, Jaw's been pro- like better than prime Mike Conley. Okay. What? What? Oh, my. Am I? That, that is the hottest take that may have ever been said on this podcast. Okay, Dude, come on. Pri- pri- 2017 okay, wait, wait, Mike wait, wait, wait. Conley. I'll take that back. Oh. Right. <laughs> Any, Jaw is putting together a regular season. In the same probably th- better than any regular season Mike Conley's had. Um, outside wrong. of 2017, outside of that, um, sure. Um, but, but but for most 90 percent of Mike Conley's Grizzly sure, career, but, sure. I'll be faithful I, to that. Yeah. I, okay, I will not. I'm not going to bet against Mike Conley in 2017. That man outdueled Kawhi Leonard in the playoff series, averaged 25 in that playoff series. Until Ja does that, I'm not ready to say that just yet. But Ja has. Definitely exceeded expectations, even though we all thought he was good. I thought he was going to be great. And it, like, I thought 18 and 7, which is about what he's doing right now, was very much in the cards. Now, for him to be second in the league in fourth quarter scoring, there was no chance in hell I saw that coming. No way at all. But Brandon Clark in particular, like we all knew he was a steal. We all knew he was good. He had the second highest PER behind Zion the last decade of college basketball. He was an analytical god at Gonzaga. And but to come to Memphis and be top ten in the league in PER, to have the best effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage, and man, I sound like a nerd right now. But those are the best among rookies in NBA history right now. And do you know what kind of players are typically in the top of those numbers? Big men. Traditional big men. Those big men that kick ass in the second unit. Because mm-hmm. Jonas Valanciunas had the same numbers like but, that in Toronto. Montrezl Harrell's like that. Demonis Sabonis has always been like that. But Clark is not a traditional big man like they are. Clark can shoot threes. Clark can play the three for stretches. He's doing it more. Know. He's doing it more for the perimeter than any of those guys. We haven't guys. seen him play the three really yet. And honestly, let's so, be real. That's where his ball per- handling comes in. The person that really plays more the three in those lineups is Jaron. Given his ball handling yeah. and three-point shooting. It is like a rebounding. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That, had to, that had to be said. But with Clark being this good this early, um, something that's the big thing that went right to put the Grizzlies in this position, along with the other teams in the bottom of the West sucking, and with the Grizzlies being a little bit ahead of schedule. But Clark could legitimately be your third star, and that eases whatever little sting there is of not having a pick at the top of this draft. And a draft that is but. <laughs> it's but. Tyrese Maxey. You know I'll go ahead and say it because you won't. It's ass. Yeah, it's, 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 it, ass. It, it, it's terrible. Like, it really is. Um, that's not to say there won't be some diamonds in the rough. Could there be, like, a Giannis Antetokounmpo at, like, number 11? Maybe. And that's Precious Shachua. <laughs> yeah. hey, Pre- hey, Precious is better at 19 than Giannis was at 19. I've seen crazier things happen in the world. Yeah, because Precious was a sophomore in high school when he Precious was Precious is like 24 years old, man. <laughs> uh, our friend Sane will like that. But yeah. um, uh, 
to know that you've got a third star in tow, it really helps clear things up because I, there's nobody I truly want. J- James Wiseman may end up... <laughs> I'm about to piss some people off. James Wiseman may be the number one pick in this draft for no other reason. This class sucks. <laughs> Big time. Outside of LaMelo, outside of Edwards, who... Edwards is super inconsistent. We'll score eight points one game, 25 the next. LaMelo, Lord knows what he's going to be as an okay, NBA player. I would still bet higher. I, I would bet higher on LaMelo. I'd probably take LaMelo number one, but there's still some uncertainty there. Cole Anthony, who many, many draft analysts, I say with quotations, thought he was going to be the number one pick in this draft. He is literally Kobe White reincarnated, a clone of Kobe White. Roy Williams recruited the exact same player two years in a row. Oh, dreads. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. he's Carmelo's nephew, cousin? No, yeah. he's Greg Anthony's son. Oh, okay. Like, okay. I got my names mixed up there. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Tyrese Maxey, who was considered one of the top guards in this draft, shooting 37% from the field and 27% from three through nine games this year. Those numbers may come up, but do you really think I want the Grizzlies to risk it all for Romeo Langford, a clone of Romeo Langford this year? No. No. Denny Abija, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, the wing from Israel that's projected top five, top six pick, playing 10 minutes a game in EuroLeague. It's Mario Hazonia without the attitude. <laughs> EuroLeague players are so hard to predict. Luca, you know, his numbers were fine his final year in EuroLeague, and now in two years, he's basically a combination of LeBron James, James Harden, and Magic Johnson. <laughs> and Michael Jordan. <laughs> and then you got Chris Tatch Porzingis, who played like eight minutes a game his last season in EuroLeague, came in and averaged like 14 as a rookie in New York. So who knows? But the point is, I'm not high on any of these guys. There's no one that I really like Outside of that top three or four, top top three, I don't like Cole Anthony. Um, I don't either. Yeah, so. so get rid of this pick, and they're going to get rid of this pick. Do you know what's crazy? And I'm going to say this to wrap up the show. Hmm. First Grayson Allen, and now conveying the pick. I'm converting you. You into you only ideology. Okay, you only converted me on Grayson Allen. I was blind, but now I see. Mm-hmm. I have repented. My anti-Grayson ways. I went back. I'm going to quote Petty Hardaway from this weekend. I went and read some of my previous comments in the past year about Grayson. I cringed when I read them. That's a quote from what Penny said, and I think it's very fitting for me. Um, to see Grayson come in, you know, in his last five games where he went out, he was averaging 11 points a game, 59% from, fi- from the field, 52% from three. I looked down at the color of my skin, Parker, and I grinned. I just had a nice little grin on my face. The great white hope lives from Memphis. And you and you helped me bring you helped bring me to the light. To the white, if you will. <laughs> Hey, y'all, y'all know, y'all know how, how I said that in our last podcast that this is why right here. <laughs> but but on the topic of conveying the pick, I'm still on the record with my original opinion saying I would much rather draft Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball. That would, that would be dope. But, but like, that's just not going to happen. I'm a realist. I'm a pragmatist. I know that's not going to happen. So considering how bad 4 through 15 is in this draft, to my perspective and everyone else, I think it's better to go ahead and just convey it. Yeah, I'll talk more about my convey argument and my wish for the Grizzlies in the draft in our next podcast. Mm-hmm. But with that... Nate, plug your stuff in. You mean for now? Yeah. 
You can find me for now on Twitter. My Twitter's not going anywhere. You can follow me on Twitter at NathanChester24, and you can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. Yep, and you can find me on Twitter at Paca, Paca underscore Flocka forever and always. So, um, oh, and also you can cover, I'm now covering the Memphis Tiger football team for Underdog Dynasty, another branch of SB Nation, so you can find all my Tigers-related football content there. Yeah, and um, maybe for the last time. That, that's all, that's folks. All, folks.